Take out your Bibles, please. Romans chapter one. If you didn't bring a Bible today, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you. And Romans chapter one, we continue our study. And it, it's interesting if you've been with us now the past few weeks. If you're brand new to Calvary Chapel, by the way, we study through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And in the book of Romans, and I'll confess to you, when we first started this a few weeks ago, I sat down with Pastor Brad, and we were you know, kind of trying to discuss, well, I'd like to try to be a few weeks ahead so that he can be praying and preparing worship team and, and that type of stuff. And I honestly thought that we'd get through chapter one in three weeks. And at last count this morning, this is week number five. Um, but I, I think as part of that that is such, a, such a, a blessing to me is I'll tell you, when I went into this, I can't tell you how many times I've read Romans chapter one in, over the years. And to me, it broke down very simply, just boom, boom, boom. But man, as just like an archaeologist, you know, you start taking layers away and you start looking, the more you, the more you dig, the more you find. And as we've been discussing this, Paul, this letter that Paul writes to this church in Rome, he's never been to Rome. He hasn't met most of the people that are going to read this letter. But he has, a, he has a, a passion, a love for these people and a love for God's truth. And as he's sharing this, and we looked a couple of weeks ago, the theme around the letter that he writes that we're going to unpack over 16 chapters is the gospel of God. The good news of God. And he says it's the gospel of God that we see because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. The theme of the letter. But as we mentioned, it's so important that we understand and Paul emphasizes this. That it, though, people need to know if salvation, to be saved, saved from what? And verse 18 clearly tells us to be saved from the wrath of God that is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And from verse 18 of chapter 1 all the way through chapter 3 verse 20, Paul outlines again and, and gives in great detail the unrighteousness and ungodliness of sinful man held up against the holiness of an almighty, perfect, holy, righteous God. And as we mentioned, it would be so easy to just kind of try to, either, let's circumvent this entire neighborhood, that bad neighborhood we don't want to drive through, we don't want to talk about. Let's just drive around it. But guys, as we, as we drive through it again, I, I've, been, I've been blessed. Again, my initial, my initial response is let's take the, the, the super highway right over the top of it. But as we navigate through it, God's word is so rich and so, so beautiful. We talked last week about how God has clearly revealed himself to his creation through his creation. And, and how it is simply a matter of his creation, man, suppressing the truth, turning away from the truth that God has made evident in their lives that has led a lot of the world away from God. Science itself proves that there is a creator. And if you missed last week's message where we talked about that, I encourage you to go online. There also you can find a video of last week's message to watch that because it's important to understand. The world tells you you're a, you're a fool if you believe in creation. And we proved last week, no, you're a fool if you say there isn't a creator. 
God has clearly revealed himself through his, through his creation, natural revelation. But we also discuss the fact that how God has so clearly revealed himself to us through his living word. The Bible that you hold in your hand is God's word to us. He tells us that this is literally God-breathed. This is not an invention of man. This is God revealing himself to us. And it's important that we all understand that. This is where we're coming from. We're coming from this from a biblical perspective. God's word is without error. It is inerrant. That is under attack today, even in churches. God's word is perfect. It is inerrant. It is without error, and it is absolutely authoritative in every regard. It's important you understand that that's where I'm coming from today, and I make no apology for it. This is the living word of God. This is our, this is our basis. And we see, and we see in his word, he tells us that the creation that he made, he made it perfectly. The creation was perfect. He had a perfect order to his creation. Everything was functioning perfectly. And then, as we have seen, and we studied through, and we're going to see today, there's a word that's used three times in our text last week, and we're going to see it again today. The word exchanged. Exchanged. We saw last week where it tells us that they exchanged the glory of an incorruptible God for the image of corruptible man. Exchanged. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie. We touched on that last week. We're going to get to it again in a minute. And then we'll see today exchanging the natural for the unnatural. I don't know about you, but when I exchange something, which, by the way, is a choice. Nobody is ever forced to exchange something. If I exchange something, I'm exchanging something that's broken for something that's fixed, I don't go to the store and say, hey, by the way, this tool works perfectly. Can I get a broken one? I don't go to the store, as that happened to us a, a, a little while ago, where we bought some salmon, got it home, opened the package, and oh, just immediately knew that it was rotten. Took it back to the store and got a fresh one. I don't do the reciprocal. This salmon is perfect. Could I get a rotten one, please? But that's what we see here. God his perfect creation, his perfect order, his perfect nature, everything given, and man says, you know what? I'll take a broken one. I'll take a corrupt one. I'll take a rotten one in exchange for what is perfect. And guys, as I mentioned last week, and this is so important, we understand this, clearly laid out again in God's word, this is not a scientific issue. This is a moral issue. Because if we come to the, the obvious conclusion that there is a creator, that means we are accountable for our behavior. And that's where the world says, I don't want to be accountable. I want to do whatever I want. As we pick up our study, where we left off last week, we're going to back up just a couple of verses. We, let, let's look at starting in verse 24. Again, they've exchanged the glory of incorruptible God for the image of a corruptible man. Verse 24, therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity 
so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Again, we talk about that, that word for. It's very important. It always ties directly then the statement that's made to the previous statement. And notice what it says in verse 25. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. If you have a margin, marginal Bible there in the, your New American Standard Bible, notice that that word a has a, has a mark by it and you read in the, in the margin or your translation might have it correctly translated. It's not a lie. It's the lie. The definitive article is there in the original language. Exchange the truth of God for the lie. What is the lie? The original lie. God said, here is my creation. Here is the perfect order. You go against this order, you will die. You can't, a holy God cannot, cannot allow unholiness there. So you will die. The lie, that's the truth. The lie is you won't die. As a matter of fact, you're going to be like God if you do it. You, you take him off his throne, you put yourself there. That's the lie. And they exchanged the truth of God for the lie. And we mentioned that word exchange there is three times. There's also a statement that's made three times, and we're going to look at those today. In verse 24, therefore God gave them over. We're going to see that term gave them over three times in verse 24 and 26 and 28. God giving them over, what that means is that God removes his sovereign, his restraining, his protective hand, if you would, and allows the consequences to inevitably take their destructive course as God removes his protection. God, man insists on sin. Man insists on rebellion. God removes his protective hand and allows the destruction to take place. Sin degrades man. It dissolves relationships. It destroys communities. But guys, as we, like I said, as we take that, that layer off beneath that, we see the amazing grace of God. Because it does not say, for this reason, God destroyed them. It says, for this reason, God gave them over. This is not eternal abandonment. A merciful, gracious God is still offering the opportunity to repent. God gives them over. And in that, the desire is that sinful man would see the destructiveness of their choices and repent and turn back to a holy and righteous God. God's word is clear. It is not his desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Repentance is the beautiful, glorious word. Because in it is the opportunity to change our direction. To turn from our sin and the destructiveness of it and turn back to a holy, righteous, just, forgiving, gracious, loving God. 
We see this in, in Revelation chapter two, interestingly enough, as Jesus speaking to the churches there. He says in verse 20, but I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray, so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Note, I gave her time to repent. And she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. God giving this opportunity to repent. And we see evidence of that. Guys, this room is full of evidence of that. Every single one of us as born-again believers is evident of that. Paul lays that out in Ephesians chapter 2. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. No distinction, just like them. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. God extending his grace, the opportunity to repent, even in our sinfulness. And we see here, as we look at this now a little bit more in depth, first in verse 24, God gave them over, note, to the lusts of their hearts. He labels this impurity. That word, obviously, impure, unclean, virtually every time used in the New Testament refers to sexual immorality. God, again, has a perfect design, part of his perfect creation. It deals with sexuality between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. God created it perfectly. We see this early on in Genesis chapter 2 when God looks upon his creation and he notes the one thing that isn't right is that man is alone. Adam is alone. And before Adam even prayed about it to God or he was starting to figure it out himself, God knew he had a need and it tells us that God took care of the need took out of him uh, part of him to create a Woman, human, yes, but very different. Why are you laughing? God looked at man, looked at Adam and said, you're not complete the way you are. You need a helper. Guys, we need help. Whether we want to admit it or not, we need help. And God's, the way the design is, God made a perfect companion for Adam. One companion for Adam. And he said, because of that, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Guys, understand the immeasurable value of what is described here. This perfect gift that God gives to his creation. Man, woman, marriage, 
and the sexual union, the two becoming one, within the covenant bonds of marriage until death parts them. That's God's perfect plan. It's, in, it's immeasurable in its value. But guys, if we do anything to change it, we dishonor God, we devalue the gift. The world will tell you, it's your body, do whatever you want with it. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you were created by him and for him. We honor God with our lives. But the Bible tells us, as we looked into this, exchange the truth of God for the lie. Do whatever you want. It's your body. You won't die. That's the lie. Whenever we go outside of the bonds of what God has created for us in any regard, but specifically when talking of sexual immorality, guys, part of you dies. Part of this beautiful gift that God has given to us in this life together with one, with one mate, part of that dies. The Bible, the, the world screams again, trust your heart, right? If it feels good, do it. Trust your heart. What does the Bible say? The Bible says the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? If it feels good, do it. Understanding that the heart is the most deceitful thing. How could we follow that? Deceit means you buy the lie. You believe it. If it feels good, do it. Chase after that. You believe that. You chase after that. You will end up desperately sick. Jesus said, for out of the heart comes evil thought, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things, note, which defile the man. We mentioned this before, exchanging. It's a conscious decision. I want to exchange my empty propane tank for a full one. I have to make the conscious decision to drive to the store and do it. This is a conscious decision. Exchanging the perfect gift of God for something defiled. And he gives us that freedom. We have the freedom to choose. But we do not have the freedom to choose the consequences. The outcome. Impurity, sexual immorality. Outlined for us in a couple of other verses, labeling them clearly fornication. That is any sexual activity outside of the covenant bonds of marriage. Before marriage, living together, not being married, having sexual uh, encounters outside of marriage. That's fornication. Adultery. When you are married, having any type of sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage other than with your spouse. It defiles the individual. It destroys the family. And the world will tell you again, that's where you have freedom. That's where you have license. Guys, with that, the consequences are loneliness, shame, regret. God's plan is so much better. His plan is perfect. As a note, before we move on from this, though, and again, 
That's the beauty of this. If you, have, if you are involved in a relationship right now that is outside of the covenant bonds of marriage, you have the opportunity today, right now, to repent. God has given you over to the lusts of your heart in the hopes that you will come to the understanding of how destructive that is and repent. Don't ignore as God speaks and deals with our hearts today, if that's you. He goes on, verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Turning them over, now he uses this term degrading, which means dishonoring or disgraceful passions. He uses the term here to describe it, indecency. Paul here, regardless of what anybody might try to tell you, is specifically dealing with homosexuality, which is a sin in the Bible. He lays it out clearly, exchanging again the truth for the lie, order for disorder. Here, natural for the unnatural exchanged he even uses the word abandoned one commentator put it this way you forsake the author of nature inevitably you will forsake the order of nature we've just looked at god's perfect design again in god's perfect design saw man had a need he did not Give him another man to fill that need. He gave, them, he gave him a perfect companion. That's, that's, again, God's perfect plan. But the world says, you know what? The plans differ. It's all based on your sexual orientation. Now, we don't use that excuse or that defense for anything else. When, when we look at, at orientation, I, I think of being oriented to something. When, I used, when we were hunted a long time ago, back in Colorado, and I would, we'd go taken off in, in different directions and, and walk and, and sit and take off, go a different direction for hours, and I wanted to get back to where I was. Some of you might not know what this is. We used to have what's called a compass. This was before GPS before I had a cell phone that could do almost everything for me. And the compass points north all the time, right? So I can get my orientation based on where that is, always pointing true north. If I was out in the middle of the woods and says, okay, I know this says that, that, that but I'm gonna make up my own orientation. This says north is that way, but my north is that way. I'm going to be lost forever. I can't, I can't ever get my natural bearings because I've now made something unnatural. Yet somehow we say, well, when it comes to sexuality, you can create your own orientation. Again, that's unnatural. 
And it's so clearly unnatural because nowhere else in all of nature does this exist. Only in humankind. Nowhere else. Not just sexual orientation. The world will say, well, it's your genetic constitution. You were born that way. That's one of the most common things right now. Is, well, I didn't choose this. I was born this way. The truth of the matter is, guys, we are all born in sin. We are all born with sinful condition. We are all born with individual tendencies and temptations towards certain sins. Have you ever wondered why there's certain people that struggle in a certain area in sin in your life that you have zero difficulty with? We're all, individually have tendencies and temptations towards certain sins. Understand that same-sex attraction is a temptation to sin. It is not a disposition that you're in. You weren't created that way. It is a temptation to sin. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Notice in that list, the only one that ever says you're born that way is when it comes to the area of homosexuality. Nobody says, well, you were just born a thief. That's just, that's, you're just born that way, so go ahead. You were just born a murderer. We don't use that defense anywhere else. And I understand that in other parts of the world right now, me saying what I am saying right now is, is labeled hate speech and even against the law. But let me tell you, it's not hate speech what I'm saying. I, this is, I couldn't be more loving when I say this because it says you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You might still believe sitting right where you are, whether you're here, whether you're watching this online or whatever, that you might think you were born a certain way. I'm here to tell you, you need to be born again a different way. And in that, you can inherit eternal life. It's not, a, it's not up to personal inclination. You can't just say, well, this is who I am. Don't judge me. Because again, we can't do that with any other thing just the way I am, so leave me alone. If we did that, we may as well just open up all the prisons. Paul, as he outlines this for us, again, we are focusing on this particular sin as it is outlined for us in, in, these, in these couple of verses, but we're gonna get to it in a moment. Paul's, Paul's statement in this isn't stri simply and strictly against homosexuality. Notice the rest of this list. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. We discussed that already. You can continue to insist on living a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. As unpopular as it is, the Bible is clear. Exchanging the truth of God for the lie. It's not up to society to change that. It's not up to even, even churches, quote unquote, to change that. Nowhere in the Bible 
Nowhere, no matter what anybody might tell you, nowhere, there is not a single verse in the Bible that condones homosexual behavior. Every time it's mentioned, it's condemned. Every time. Because again, God's perfect design is laid out clearly. And when we say, you know what, I I refuse that, I don't want that, I'm going in a different direction, God turns us over. But there's hope. There's hope. Paul doesn't stop in verse 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 11 says, such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the spirit of our God. If you struggle in the area of same-sex attraction, if you struggle in any type of sexual sin, perhaps you've even fallen into that sin, there is hope for you today. Again, born again, coming to the Lord Jesus, you can be washed, you can be sanctified, you can be justified, and you can have power over that in your life moving forward. Verse 28, as we... As we continue again, we see that Paul specifically deals with homosexual sin, but he doesn't exclusively deal with homosexual sin. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Again, not a a real comfortable list to go through. Paul doesn't stop again with dealing with homosexuality. He goes on to list 21 other things. And that's not an exhaustive list. Galatians chapter 5, Paul says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Same word used to speaking of how God made himself evident within us back in verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, And things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Ken, guys, this, I I realize how unpopular this is, but it's the word of God. To go back to what I said at the beginning, his, his word is perfect and his word is authoritative. It's unpopular, but it's, it, it's the truth of God. If we persist in a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. That is what it says. People say all the time, come up to me and say, well, can a born-again, true born-again believer continue on in that lifestyle? What does the word of God say? No, you are a new creation can you still struggle with areas? Yes, unfortunately, as long as we as long as we have skin, 
we have a propensity to sin. We will be tempted. We, we, we stumble. We, we come up. But there's, that's, the, again, the beautiful part of repentance. Turning, turning away, turning to God. He says again here, turned over again. Here time, this time to a depraved mind, dealing with impropriety. What is not proper? Again, going against his perfect design for us. Did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. That's literally having God, didn't see fit to have God in their knowledge. Clearly, evidently, as it says, they know the ordinance of God, but I don't want anything to do with that. I've experienced this. I understand it, but I don't want anything to do with it. Isaiah says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Guys, we live in the days of Isaiah 5. We look around us and everywhere. It's, it's crazy. It's upside down. Evil things called good and glorified. Good, holy, righteous things condemned and, and vilified. Turning them over to do those things which are not proper. Notice as he starts off this list, all unrighteousness and wickedness. All unrighteousness. Again, to go back to verse 18 where it says, the wrath of God revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. All. I mentioned this last time and it, it, it bears repeating because this is important when we start looking at this and where we're gonna go here in a moment. That sin has far less to do with the heinousness of the offense as it does the holiness of the offended. We have a tendency to, to grade sin. That one's, that one's worse than this, and that one's worse than this, and that one's worse than this. And we could, we could justify that in among ourselves. Is it worse to hate somebody than it is to actually go out and murder them? In our economy, yes. But in God's economy, Jesus said, you've heard it say, the, the ancients say you shall not murder. But I tell you that, that if, you, if you harbor hatred in your heart for your brother, you're guilty. We would look at it in our economy and say, if you look at pornography, it's not as bad as going out and having an affair Against your, against your husband or your wife. But the Bible says, Jesus said, if you have, if you have adultery or if you have, have lust in your heart towards someone else, you've committed adultery in your heart. Again, against a holy and righteous God. And when we look at this list that, is, that, that he lays out before us, we don't have time to go through them individually, but I don't know that we necessarily even have to. Greed, covetousness, desiring what's not ours not being content with what we have, wanting what someone else has. Then this list of evil, envy, strife, malice, that's, that's bitter, angry feelings towards others. Even to the point of, of desiring that they don't have what they have, not because I want it, but I just don't want them to have it. Supposing the worst about people, spreading, speaking of gossip, 
there's the, qu- the quickest way to end gossip is don't listen to it. There, there's two things required when it comes to gossip, a deliverer and a recipient. Both are guilty. Arrogant, boastful, the dealing with pride. Deceit, untrustworthiness, unloving kind of sums up a lot of that. Unloving that the word, the love word there is not agape, it's storge, which means the love that you would have for your family. Not, not having that love for one another that looks out for each other. I think the one, quite honestly, that really kind of sums up a lot of it, if not all of it together, is this last one, unmerciful, not compassionate, looking upon others with a a judgmental heart, looking down on those struggling with sin in their lives, and again, grading the sins. At least I'm not like that. At least I don't struggle with that. At least I'm not in that position. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Jesus deals with this. Luke chapter 18. Beginning in verse 9. It tells us that he also told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Verse 13, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but he who humbles himself will be exalted. I guess I, I finish on this and try to tie this together because I'm just going to speak for myself. I've read Romans chapter 1, as I mentioned, a lot in my life, and I've used it a lot to point a finger. I've used it a lot in a judgmental way. And if that's your heart, you need to read chapter two, verses one and two. We'll get there next week. (laughs) But I can be so unmerciful in that regard. And in our, if you still have your Bibles open there to Luke, notice the prayer of the tax collector. He said, God, be merciful to me, thee. Sinner, not a sinner, the sinner. You see, he came to the altar of God, and Hebrews tells us the altar of God for us as believers is the cross. He came to the cross, and he said, God, I'm, I'm the sinner. 
<laughs> Notice, he didn't say, God, I thank you. I'm not like that Pharisee over there. No, he came to the cross and he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And my prayer today is that God is talking to everyone in the room. I, I was at a pastor's conference, blessed to be able to go earlier this week, and it's on the East Coast. It's my, it's my favorite conference to go to. Just go over there for a couple of days. And part of it that I love so much is it's you know, a bunch of pastors that, that get together from all over. But when I go to that one in particular, I have absolutely nothing to do other than to worship and seek God. I have no responsibilities. And so I'm able to just worship God. And I'll tell you, the second night, we had a great, great message, a great time of worship. But then we were challenged in a way to really let God speak to our hearts. And I'll tell you, in that moment when I'm standing before the altar of God in my heart, he showed me that there's still so many things in my life that aren't Christ-like. I'm not like I was, praise God. But I'm not where I want to be. I want to be just like him. But there's still areas in my life that aren't. And praise God that at the altar, again, we come and we receive mercy. We receive power. But we have to be humble. We have to come and say, you know what? I'm, I, 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 I am not like that anymore. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm not where I want to be. And so do a work in me. Continue to cleanse me, to continue to grow me. So if God's maybe doing that in your heart right now, you have me to thank, because I've been praying he would. Because <laughs> he has so much more for us. So much more. And for us to just get comfortable I've been praying against that, so sorry. <laughs> if you're here today and that's you, I want to I give you a, in a moment an invitation to, to respond. But I also want to talk to those here today who, who perhaps have, you, you've given your life to the Lord at one time in your life, but you've really backslidden. You've fallen off. You've chased after the things of the world. You've gone back to things that you were once delivered from. And perhaps nobody else in this room knows it, but you know it. God knows it. And you maybe feel afraid. You feel like, I can't, I'm not welcome back. I tell you, Jesus told another parable. Parable of the prodigal son. And all it required of the prodigal son was to acknowledge his sin and to turn back to his father. And it tells us that, that the father didn't wait at the end of the driveway with a club. He ran out to meet his son with his arms spread open wide. All that's required is that you acknowledge your sin. You repent, turn away from it, and turn back to God. So I want to give you an, an invitation to do that today. And if you're here today, and I don't want to discount, if you're, not, if you're not here and you're watching online, we have a lot of people watching online anymore. Praise the Lord for that. Or if you're seeing this at another time, whatever it is, and you are, you've never taken that step. You, you're, you're not born again. You've never come to Jesus. 
You're dealing with sin in your life. You're dealing with these consequences. God has turned you over, and you've come to the end of that. You realize, you're, you're tired of it. You want to be delivered. You can be today. You can have every sin you've ever committed washed away. You can have power over these things in your life. I love you too much not to say, you feel you've been born in this way. This is the way you were born. You need to be born again today a different way, a new creation in Christ. You can inherit eternal life today. But you have to exchange the corruption of the world for the incorruptible Christ who suffered and died for you. So, as the worship team comes up now, I want to ask that if God is doing a work in your heart, that you respond. And I want to even ask you to respond in a way that perhaps you never have before. I want to ask you to come on up here. And if we have to spread out and spread up the aisles, whatever it is, but to respond, whatever it might be, if it's that, you know, there's an area of, uh, in me that's not Christ-like and you're showing that to me, God, I want to come up to the altar and I want to lay that at your feet and I want to be renewed in that today. If that's you, again, c- come forward. If you're backslidden and you want to come back to the loving arms of the Father, come up. You want to make that first time declaration, Jesus is your Lord, to have your sins washed away, come, come up. If you're worried about what other people might think, can I just say, who cares? This is, this is an opportunity to just have, this is you and the Lord here. And if, if you might have a tendency to look at others going forward and saying, huh, I wonder what their situation is. You better beat them up here. Because that's an area of Christ-likeness that's not in you. <laughs> after, after we get done, like I said, I want to invite you to come up. We'll pray together. And afterwards, our ushers, or our, our elders and pastors and, and prayer team will be up if you want to stay up and pray about something specific. But let's let God do a, an, an amazing work. I know he wants to. Are we willing? Would you please stand? Holy Spirit, we give you license. We give you freedom to move amongst us right now. Jesus, would you please do a work here, a supernatural thing as we respond to your word to us today?